0: Welcome to Confessions of a Sales Pro. My very special guest this week is a gentleman by the name of Rand Fishkin from Seattle, Washington. Rand is the co-founder and CEO of SparkToro, makers of fine audience research software. He's dedicated his professional life to helping people do better marketing through his writing, video, speaking, and his book, Lost and Founder. When Rand's not working, he's usually cooking a fancy meal for the love of his life. Author uh, Geraldine DeRuyter, if you bribe him with great pasta or fancy cocktails, he'll pull back that ugly curtain on Big Tech's dark, dark secrets. Rand, welcome to the podcast.
1: Great to be here, Ian. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for having the time. You're down the I five in Seattle, so uh, we're we're probably having a, a similar day weather-wise. Um, I know when you and I chatted before, Ram, we we have this this topic about sales, and, and it's quite interesting. Why don't you like sales? And and like, why don't your companies have a sales function or a sales team? I, I'd love. I'm fascinated by your your point of view on this.
1: Sure. So. Uh, Ian, what I don't want to say is I think sales are bad or wrong um, or wrong for everyone. I think that the older I get, the more I discover that personal preference is exactly that. It is it is a personal choice. And so I don't enjoy the sales process. I don't enjoy building sales teams. Uh, I haven't historically personally sort of like gotten along well with salespeople. I think it's that could be uh, through you know my experiences and exposure, but but it could also be choices that I've made. And as such, I choose to do what I think every entrepreneur should do. And that is lean into their strengths and build businesses that avoid their weaknesses. And so Moz, my first company now Spark Toro, uh, and, and my third company that, I'm, uh, that I've been working on on the side here, which, which is a video game studio, um, all three of them have, have no sales functions, at least while I was CEO. Mala's uh, eventually got one after I stepped down, but, but then eventually discarded it um, as well. So that's, that's me. It's not that I hate sales for your organization or anyone else's, but I don't like
0: it for mine. Right. A personal preference. I, li- I like what you said uh, about that, Rand, in, in terms of your own experience. And, you know, sa- sales is, is a very, I think it's the oldest profession in the world. And there's been a lot of bad behavior from salespeople, not necessarily you or me, but others. Uh, and it's given, it's really tarred, uh, the whole profession with, with, with a bad, with bad paint. And, um, there's ways to do it with integrity and honesty. And there's ways that, a lot of this experience—it feels more like you're in a shark tank somewhere, and someone's coming to to get your blood. So I, I know <laughs> what you're talking about. There's there's different aspects on it, and you know if if you can build a, a big enough magnet from a marketing perspective, uh, and you don't need the cost of sales, and, and and you know your phone's ringing, there's there's orders in the pipeline. Well, then that's great. Uh, you're probably more profitable, yeah. and. You know, every everyone plays some role in it, especially early on as an entrepreneur. Uh, it's not just about building a great product. Uh, if you can't get your word out there, it's all in the still in the so what category. So there's lots of different ways to skin the cat. I, I would say you're you're uh, you're famously despised or at least passively disliked by the venture capital community. Uh, I, I'm fascinated by this. What do you mean? Uh, to earn you this badge of honor of uh, of this this despised. Tell me more about the VC world and and that community, Rand. Would you? I'd love to hear about it.
1: Sure, sure, Ian. So uh, I think you know that for my first company, uh, I raised a significant amount of venture and raised it from actually, I think, uh, quite good investors, right? So people with good reputations, firms with you know, uh, good names both in the Seattle area and and nationally, globally. Uh, and the problem that I have is not with the people, but with the structure of the asset class, which does a few things that I don't agree with and like. And I think that had I been more mature and thoughtful uh, in my first business, I, I probably would have gone a different direction. But so here's right? Here's how venture capital structured. I, I, I assume most of, uh, most of your listeners are probably pretty familiar with it at this point, but essentially the model is you raise a large amount of money from what, what are called LPs, limited partners, right? So this is wealthy endowments and, um, university funds and, um, individuals, you know, family offices, that kind of people. And then you deploy that capital by investing it into hundreds of companies, Right. And and you basically are aiming for a model because because venture capitalists believe that startups are universally high risk and that the risk cannot be mitigated. They optimize for a model that is, you know, we're going to put money into 100 companies. Ninety five of them are going to go bust. uh, Three or four of them are going to make three to five X our returns. And one or two of them is hopefully going to make up for the whole fund by giving us 10x, 20x, 50x uh, our investment fund. So this model for entrepreneurs means the day you raise venture capital, you have just reduced the odds that your company will survive by an order of magnitude, right? You've made your business massively more risky because what you have to now do is unprofitably deploy capital to get a rapid rate of growth. In the hopes that you can raise your next round of capital or if you're later stage go go ipo Uh, and that model creates a tremendous amount of failure and unhappiness also a tremendous amount of pressure and um, i think a pace of work that is highly correlated with making terrible mistakes Um, and you know maz right my, my my first company did I don't know. I guess it did reasonably well. It was one of those like three or four companies that returns, you know, two to five X returns, that kind of thing to its investors. I think our first round investors probably made five X and our second round investors maybe made two or two and a half. Um, but it certainly wasn't the the one in a hundred um, that made it all the way. So I, I, I wrote about this in Lost and Founder and I've been speaking about it publicly for the last few years, which is very unusual because almost every entrepreneur, even those who have a terrible time with VC, want to maintain good relationships in that field. Um and I meanwhile have have thrown the asset class under a bus. Um <laughs> I remember when I was fundraising for Spark Toro, uh Ian I had a I had a phone call with someone, you know, down in the Bay Area in California, and they were like, you'll never raise money again. No one would ever fund you after this, and I I replied to this person and was like, "Yeah, that's the point." <laughs> so um, there you go. I uh, occasionally occasionally will burn a bridge uh, to to hopefully hopefully not to keep myself warm, but to illuminate a path for
0: other people. Right. I like what you're talking about. I mean, the, the whole asset class and the math is just set up for failure. You have you're of a hundred. Companies they invest in, 95, are, are, aren't going to make it. They're going to fail, nope. right? So that's already like nine and a half. I mean, 95% failure rate. I wouldn't even go into something that gave me only a 5% autumn of succeeding, right? It, it's just it, the risk on it, it. Failure, as you talked about, uh, uh, Rand, the pressure that bound to make mistakes. You're, you're in a pressure cooker from the get-go. And, you know, to be the one, maybe two, that give you the, you know, the 10, 20, maybe 30 X. I mean, that's getting close to lottery ticket on. So it is is uh, it it is not for the, the faint of heart. There's there's no question about that. Well, good for you for surviving it and continuing on. And now your third one's about to take flight. So you're doing something right, my friend. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> you, you know, AI, artificial intelligence, it's everywhere, right? It's it's absolute. It's it's a wave, and it's hit us. It's hit our lives. It's hit our businesses. Um, it's online. It's it's a big part of the the world and where we're going. There's lots of different varying views on is this good for us, or are we going to find ourselves living in the matrix? Right there, there's lots of uh, viewpoints on this. Uh, but being the marketing expert that you are, and and certainly you are award winner. Uh, what effect is AI going to have on the whole world of marketing ran?
1: Yeah, I, hmm. P- part of me uh, wants to say, you know, Ian, whatever will be, will be us speculating about it, even if our prediction, let's say I gave you an answer right now, and that answer proved perfectly correct in five years or 10 years. Would your listeners look back on that and be like, gosh, knowing exactly the future of how AI impacted marketing really helped my business. Like that really helped me make better decisions. It, it helped me uh, do something better. And I think the answer probably is no. <laughs> it, it's so weird to think that, the, that knowing the future doesn't necessarily help you make better decisions about it. So what I do want to say about it is that, I think where what's called AI right essentially these these generative large language models um, that are that are producing text output and and can help programmers sort of uh, build code and, and and those kinds of things um, all of it is a tool similar to other technology tools that have made our lives more efficient or effective and when I think that Uh, Where I think that technology can be best applied is when you have a set of problems that you have defined very well, and you know that solving those problems will have a big impact on your business or your personal career and life or the work that you're doing, some specific task that you're trying to accomplish. That's when applying that technology makes a ton of sense. And in pretty much every other instance, it's not great, <laughs> right? So I worry a lot. I worry a lot when marketers tell me or, um, you know, folks inside leaders tell me that inside their organization, there's a big push to adopt AI rather than, hey, we have this problem that we think AI can solve better than anything else. The former is... Uh, <laughs> you know, fire, ready, aim. And, right. and that approach never works and never works. So I don't know exactly what the future of AI will be. I know that for folks who are listening, if you can go and define problems that you truly believe in your organization will be solved better b-
0: by AI than anything else.
1: Ooh, yeah. You know what? You're going to be one of the winners out of this.
0: It makes complete sense. I really like what you said. And and AI for AI's sake, just because it's a trend? Why? Why why invest time, (laughs) money, effort in something just, uh, oh, great. Isn't that great? Now I know something and spend a whole bunch of money trying to do something that didn't solve a single thing that we needed. So I think that's probably always been something to focus on for, for people in business is knowing what the problem or the challenges are. And going deep on that, peeling the the onion on that, getting to the why around that, now you'll have some clarity on how you might go about solving it, rather than just throwing the latest, greatest, potentially greatest trend at something and and hoping for the best. Yeah. Ian. do you remember four
1: years ago when, I don't know, thousands of businesses were trying to figure out their NFT strategy? Like, hey, how are we going to take advantage of the growing NFT market? And it it just, it didn't make sense for anybody. It, right. it, was, it was ridiculous, right? I mean, it was just, it was just all hype. Even blockchain as a whole has basically produced nothing of value except a, 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 a few cryptocurrencies that are most heavily used by, by criminal organizations, right? And it, it's sort of like, yeah, you know, if, yeah. hey, if you're, you know, if you're running drugs or you're a rogue nation and and sort of, you know, a lot of, uh, financial institutions won't work with you. Cryptocurrency is really great, <laughs> but if you're anybody else, did a blockchain investment make a lot of sense? No.
0: Right. It's, it's a bit like shiny object syndrome, right? If someone yeah. sees this, it's like squirrel in the middle of the road. Let's figure out what that can do. Well, what do you need? <laughs> Apart from what you, what's out there, what do you need? That should be the What do you good. need? Isn't like, um, yeah, this I, I
1: love- the core of sales right the core of sales is figuring sure. out the
0: customer problem and that's it and then, the helping pain, to, then bring yeah. the gain that's yes it. it's exactly. exactly that's that's the way to do it well right and many don't do it well and therein lies some of the rub around some of the bad experiences the world of sales has has encountered and uh I, again um lots of ways to skin a cat now, you're, you're Mr. Marketing, right? Yeah, this is your, your sweet spot. This is what you're known for. This is what your book, Lost and Founder, is all about. Uh, here's a question for you, cause this, this is something that I scratch my head with. Is it better to have a hundred thousand more followers on the various social media platforms or a thousand more email subscribers? What would you rather have, and maybe shed some light on why, Rand?
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's tough. You know, Threads has been getting huge this past weekend, and I think they they crossed a hundred million accounts uh, today already. So pretty pretty darn impressive. Uh, here is what I would say. Uh, I would take a thousand more email addresses on on my subscriber list over a hundred thousand more followers on social any day. And that is simply because the platforms have been working so hard the last it's really, it's really 10 years, but it's gotten much more aggressive the last five uh, to limit the value of having a follower, right? So th- the algorithms that create visibility on, you name it, you know, LinkedIn, Twitter, Reddit threads, YouTube, um, any of them, the value of that follower has diminished because those platforms are moving more and more in the direction that I think uh, TikTok is popular for, which is essentially uh, no a a follow does not mean that 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 person will see your content or be exposed to your brand or have much more of an affinity for you than a non-follower. So it, it's a little bit of a uh, pure vanity metric that makes you look more important than you are, which there's rare cases where that's valuable. For example, if you are an author and you are pitching publishers, telling them that you have you know, 600,000 followers on TikTok or Instagram or even Twitter actually can get you a book deal. I, I don't know if it'll help you sell any books, but it can get you that book deal. So, mm. you know, there are rare cases uh, where, where it might pay to go on the dark web and buy yourself a million followers. But, um, but if for everyone else, I would, take, I would take those thousand email addresses because email open rates, you can go to MailChimp's data set and, and look over the last 25 years, open rates and click-through rates in email have remained steady throughout every single new social network that's been adopted every change even the switch from desktop to mobile uh we saw that email open rates have consistently on average remained at at around 25 percent and click-through rates remain you know somewhere in the two to three percent range on average that's incredible to have a technology like that that's lasted a quarter century Uh, and continues to be this powerful,
0: I expect it will for another quarter century. It's it's amazing. It's fascinating to me that some of the best things aren't the latest, greatest things. That they remain to be. My gut instinct was going to be that you would say the 100,000 followers, just because Hmm. of all the latest and greatest tech platforms and social platforms. Uh, But having you talk about the, the follower value being diluted through time, um, and then the, the, the steady op- email open rates and the click-through rates continue to be stable and predictable. So it gives you a better business metric to, to look at investments uh, w- w- with email. And wow, that's, that to me is fascinating. It, it truly is. And a definite way to, to reach an audience is about audiences. Uh, SparkToro helps with audience research. So what is that, and, and who uses it, and what do they use it for, Ren? Maybe you could shed some light for our listeners today.
1: Sure, yeah, absolutely. I think um, audience research is not something that, that a ton of people are super familiar with as compared to lots of other marketing channels. But the, the core idea behind it is that uh, marketers and, and probably lots of salespeople and lots of product leaders and, and business owners – all want to gain a deep understanding of their audience's behaviors and demographics so that they can do two things number one build the right products that solve their pain points and two market to them using uh the right terminology and language that resonates with them in the places where they pay attention most that's that's it that's the whole core of audience research there's really three ways to do it. The first is interviews, right? You get on the phone with customers or potential customers and you talk to them and, you know, you try and understand their pain points this is something sales does all the time, right? You, you, ha- you have these interview calls. Um, in your, if you're in product development phase, you probably want to do that in a much more open format. If you're in sales phase, you're, you're trying to do it in a solutions oriented format. The second one is surveys where you essentially get a group of people hopefully a large group, to answer the same question, uh, all the same question, and then you get statistics around how they respond and you know what they say they do or how they say they do it uh, so that you can better understand that group. And then the third one is passively collected data from um, broad usage, right, from, from the internet usually. And this is what SparkToro does, right? So essentially, what we do is we index uh, tens of millions of public web profiles. And then you can search across that and say, hey, Rand, I'm building a product for, you know, um, maybe architects that are in New Zealand. And I want to know. Where am I going to reach architects in New Zealand? Tell me the publications that they read and the YouTube channels that they subscribe to and the podcasts they listen to. And demographically, are they more likely to be older women or younger men? Are they more likely to uh, live in New Zealand or do they have, you know, do lots of folks who follow these sources in New Zealand? Do they, you know, live in other places in Oceania or Southeast Asia or, or other spots? And SmartToro can give you those kinds of answers. So lots of marketers use it to understand their audiences and where they can reach them how they can market to them the language that they use all that kind of stuff
0: makes it what what a fantastic platform and you're right I mean there's only two reasons to, 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 to build the right product so you can gain valuable insight and intelligence around that from an audience and to market mm-hmm. to them and, and there're three different ways you know you question them for their pain points do a survey to get to get the stats uh, or, or a broader uh, you know, data collection to to really firm up your understanding of these target markets. So what a, what a fantastic tool in today's world, Rand. That is, that is fascinating. Uh, listen, Rand, so you, you have scratched... What are things- go ahead, Rand, please, please. No, I was
1: just going to say, Ian, I, I don't know if you remember, but this used to be data that publicly the social networks would give you. Like you could go to Facebook... Before the Cambridge Analytica scandal in 2016, right, and the Trump thing and all that, you could go to Facebook and they would tell you, hey, here's all these affinities that your audience who follows you have, and here's their behaviors, and here's your demographics, and Twitter would do the same, right, before before Elon and all that. And and now you can't get this data from those places. And so I you know, I feel like a big part of our job is to democratize data that you should have. These are these are audiences with public data on the web. None of this is there's no privacy issues here, right? This is all aggregated and anonymized. But I just feel like our job is to to put that information back in people's hands where it belongs.
0: And there there's probably a, a very fiscally wise decision why all of these social platforms don't allow that data anymore because they're using it oh, to do their own marketing. <laughs> oh yeah, there you go. Didn't I, didn't
1: we promise that, right that yeah. uh, that we'd pull back the curtain on on big tech's dark secrets right at the start of the interview? There, there you, you go. go.
0: Sounds like another episode waiting to happen, Rand. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, Rand, uh, you scratched the, the 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 foreheads and made people stop and go. Wait a minute how could I, wait a minute, there's a, a better way to do this instead of the, the hard way, the long way. Uh, you know, certainly when we think about Spark Toro's value proposition, what it can offer up, and, and probably in rapid fashion, uh, it has got some interest out there. How can our listeners best reach out to get a hold of you, Rand, maybe get, if you get your, their hands on your book, Lost and Founder, or or you know, continue with uh, an inquiry of services?
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, for Lawson Founder, that is available on uh, Barnes & Noble or, or Indie Books or Powell's or Amazon, uh, sold in lots of bookstores, too, if you, if you go into physical bookstores. Uh, and in terms of me personally, I am most active these days actually on Mastodon, where I'm uh, at Ranfish, and, uh, and on LinkedIn as well, where I'm Ranfishkin. And SparkToro is nice and easy and free <laughs> to to play with. Uh, we don't have a, a free trial; it's just a forever free account that anyone can sign up for. Uh, this is this is how I avoid uh, needing a sales team. So you can just go to sparktoro.com and sign up with your email. You can run some searches, see if there's uh, value in the free version for you and your company, and uh, and you get. I think it's. Uh, Thirty searches, maybe, maybe it's uh, ten searches a month to play with the um, the free version. So, yeah, feel free to have a spin, and and if it's valuable to you, uh, you can always drop me a line if you have questions. Rand at SparkToro.com.
0: That's fantastic, listeners! What a great offer Rand just made. You uh, dive in the deep end and see what the pool looks like. That that would be my advice to you. Uh, again, my uh, my special guest this week, gentleman by the name of Rand Fishkin from Seattle his company, Spark Toro. his book, Lost and Founder. Rand, thank you for taking the time to share your, your wisdom and your insights with our listeners today. My pleasure, Ian, thank you for having me. And thank you all for listening to Confessions of a Sales Pro. If you have found this
1: episode informative and helpful, we would be honored and appreciative if you would share this podcast with other great salespeople like yourself. And we look forward to you joining us for all new episodes weekly, every Thursday. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. If you'd like us to help you grow your sales commissions, visit us at salesmentoru.com. Confessions of a sales pro. Less sins, more wins. With Ian Selby.